Ladies and gentlemen, if you are over 18, then this must be Porn Valley Observed, uncomfortably close with Graham Panante, America's beloved porn journalist. That's me. I talk with porn stars, porn directors, uh, porn-adjacent people, laborers in the skin trade, people just like you with a different calibration of shame. This is episode five. Our guest is Danielle Stewart. I'm just going to read something from her uh, from her website. You know, so so few people I interview have um, functioning text based websites. So uh, this is kind of a treat. So from her website, DanielleStewart.com. When drunken sex with strangers became boring and therapy got expensive, Danielle Stewart turned to stand-up comedy to work out her issues with sex, marriage, and personal relationships. Danielle's comedy has been featured on Hulu's Comedy Brew, Ladies' Night Out, and Ralphie May's Filthy Animals. She tours regularly across the United States, as well as exotic places like Denmark, Jamaica, and Des Moines. She has performed at the Boston Comedy Festival, the Laughing Skull Festival, the Detroit Comedy Festival, and the Bend Comedy Festival. Danielle also co-hosted... Now listen up, everybody. This is the important part, and that's why she's here. Danielle also co-hosted the 2015 AVN Awards, airing on Showtime currently. In addition to stand-up comedy, Danielle was a writer on MTV's The Hookup, a regular contributor to Us Weekly, Life and Style, and Girls Gone Wild magazine, and yes, that was a magazine, and is currently a writer for After Party magazine, which is a uh, pretty pretty cool online resource for um, people uh, going through the effects and the, uh, the aftershocks of addiction. She has appeared on Chelsea Lately, Foursome Walk of Shame for Playboy TV, and is a correspondent on WeTV's Sex Box. Okay, and that, that ends the, uh, the annotated website text. Now, shortly after I talked with Danielle, she became absolutely the best host of the AVN Awards in my personal 10-year history of attending them. Most comedians just don't know how to walk the line between the audience at home all porn stars, no, let, let me flip that over. Uh, the audience at home, not porn stars, and the one at whatever Vegas casino convention center the awards are staged in. Either the hosts watch too little porn and they appear like an outsider, like um, an anthropologist, a, a glib anthropologist, or they watch too much porn and they come off as crass. And it's... Uh, it's a well-known fact that porn stars want to be seen as elegant and sophisticated. They don't need to be reminded of their movie titles and what a cheap joke that is. And it's the, it's the same with porn consumers. So knowing this, Danielle was fantastic. tell you about Catalyst Con coming up next month. Catalyst Con is, for someone like me, raised on porn conventions, a sex worker of a different color. It's a three-day seminar on sex culture, sex-positive activism, and inclusiveness. Sexual inclusiveness. 
Over the past few years, this bi-coastal convention has also attracted a lot of porn talent interested in um, you know, sex education, uh, including Jessica Drake, Nina Hartley, April Flores, and me. So when Catalyst Con West rolls into Burbank from September 11th through the 13th, I will be there to present a reprise of a program I gave in Washington, D.C. in March, Covering Porn, My Life as an American Porn Journalist. It is a title that reflects the awesome weight of the mantle I carry and its importance in our time. Porn Valley Observed, uncomfortably close with Graham Panante's founding sponsor, is Gamelink.com. Since 1993, Gamelink has been a leading and groundbreaking supplier of both video-on-demand and DVD-based porn in America and throughout the known universe. Its editorial site, Naked Truth, is a great place for thoughtful porn reviews and porn star interviews. In fact, this week, for example, we have a great interview with porn star and boss Bissett Boss bitches, boss bitches of history, co-creator Sovereign Sire. So visit GameLink.com, use the keyword Gram, G-R-A-M, at checkout to get 20% off your first order. And now, my conversation with my old friend, Danielle Stewart. sensual? It does. It does. Um, I'm sitting in my living room with Danielle Stewart, who uh, in a matter of days is going to be hosting the uh, the AVN Awards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I have, uh, you and I have a history. We, Long history. We know each other from previous lives, previous <laughs> incarnations of ourselves. And that's not, I know we live in California and we're both from the East Coast, and that's not a Shirley MacLaine type thing, but I haven't seen you in like a dozen years. Yeah, and it, it's funny. Um, I think it's been it, it's been at least a decade, right? Yes. Um, so I was ten the last time I saw you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you had, yeah, you hadn't even been bat- bat mitzvahed. No, I had not. But it it's it sounds like a long time, and I can't believe I'm at the age where a decade can go by, and it seems like I've seen you. Like, it was like no time had gone by when I came over here. It's true. But you are you are such a sensual lady now. It's true. You, Thank uh, you for noticing. You came in, and <laughs> immediately I thought, oh, she smells really good. And her and her jacket is so, like, Cenobite badass. Mm-hmm. Red lipstick. Red lipstick. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a picture of this uh, Dunkin' Donut. I got the Dunkin' Donuts cup specifically for you. If you go to DanielleStewart.com, you uh, you see that she has a great Dunkin' Donuts theme. You did not get it for me. Yeah, I did get. Did it you for really? You. Yeah, because you know what? What? There's a Dunkin' Donuts in the city of Downey right now. Everybody goes to the one in Santa Monica, 
but and and when you say everyone, you mean everyone, because I've tried to go three times and there's a line outside. I can't get in because I'm not on the list. Yeah, exactly. So you go to Downey. I'll do it. And it's great because it's unlike any Dunkin' Donuts that you've been to in Quincy or Quintree or Braintree. Uh, it has a sitting area outside. It has really comfortable chairs. And nobody knows that the job is to be rude. <laughs> but anyway, there's, there's I, I so this appreciate I cannot tell you because when I saw that mug, I was like, I have I don't have this exact one. Um, I have a tall like, um, what do you call it? like a 16 ounce yes. with a handle. And then I have one of the small vintage, like tiny ones that look like IHOP coffee cups yep. but it has the old Dunkin Donuts logo in it and then I have a, a thermos a Dunkin Donuts thermos but I do not have I do not have this one that one I wish I could get uh, a vintage one because that that one looks I, I bet that even has the Dunkin Donuts website on it but I like oh yeah. the old you know the big splashy DD yeah anyway um, probably on this podcast and the uh, the related images you will see Danielle Stewart's lip gloss on the side of that heavy ceramic mug. Smeared all over it, as I often do many things I put my lips on. There is just lipstick everywhere. You cannot <laughs> cheat on your wife with me. You will get caught. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, an interesting, uh, that's an interesting segue into what you're going to be doing in a couple of days. Uh, for years and years, the Avian Awards have been hosted by a comedian, and they'll they'll usually have some uh, some porn stars, and and this year it's Tommy Pistol and Alexis Texas, mm-hmm. uh, and the the comedian opens up the show. What are your porn credentials? <laughs> well, um, now do you mean professional porn credentials, um, or yes. do you just mean like you know how many gangbangs have I been in? I. I think I know how many gangbangs you've been in, but uh, for but your listeners don't exactly for those for <laughs> those people who haven't <laughs> been in a gangbang with Danielle. For your two listeners, I'm not saying you only have two listeners. I'm just saying you only have two that haven't been in a gangbang with me. Um, no, my porn credentials are. Uh, um, I I don't really have any other than the fact that my stand-up is entirely, almost entirely sex-based. Um, for that reason, I have done several shows that are involving like at strip clubs or involving um you know a variety show involving porn stars or like I I do a lot of um anything in comedy that has to do with like it's sexy and funny like I'm usually doing it at some point there's something about your stand-up and you you say some filthy things in your stand-up but at the same time there's Nothing that suggests that you don't walk the walk, mm-hmm. and there's also something wholesome enough about it that doesn't make you think, oh, she's just saying that to be outrageous. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. You are in the minority, because I have, uh, well, you know, my I'm split, like with my, um, how I'm received by people, uh, comedically, not like in the mouth, but like, you know, uh, comedically. That's, that's, um, that's the way I always say, Re- <laughs> receive me in your mouth. Yes, I, I like the R word. I like to <laughs> receive me. Um, I feel, I've always felt, I don't consider myself dirty. 
I, I really don't. Um, I consider myself, I've all, the reason I got into comedy is because I've always talked very openly about sex. My mother talked very open and openly and inappropriately, quite frankly, to me about sex since I was a little girl. So I've always spoken very frankly and openly about sex with no shame about it. I didn't know I was supposed to have shame. And then, because um, I was raised Jewish, and we don't really have that. And then I got into public school in Boston um, with all the Irish and Italian Catholics and learned that sex was shameful. Um, and I got ostracized sort of by being like, you know, too outspoken and too sexual and like, you know, you know, even though they all wanted to fuck me, they had to like shame me on the outside, you know? Yes. So that's sort of been the ongoing theme in my life since ninth grade is um, I'm this, I talk about sex, I have sex, I have a lot of sex, I'm not ashamed to talk about it, I don't, I, you know, and then I get and then some people love my free spiritness, if you will, and then most of them, you know, don't. Is is there a point with your free spiritedness that it acts like a um, an elastic and eventually snaps back? Do you ever have people who love the Danielle Stewart free spirit, hippy dippy uh, magic carpet ride, and then? Well, it's, it's not a carpet because I shave, but thank you. Well, <laughs> uh, well, I, there, there's this great video on your site, uh, daniellestewart.com, uh -huh. about your Brazilian waxing. That's right. And Which I've, I've stopped doing, actually, to be perfectly honest, because um, for some reason, every time I would get a Brazilian wax, I would get into a fight with the person that I waxed for. Did you Have you ever gone back to the, to the same place? I, I imagine from the... From the YouTube sketch that I saw, mm -hmm. um, that you wouldn't go back to the same place twice. Yes, actually, w that bit goes on, um, and I talk about how I developed like Stockholm syndrome with this waxer because I didn't. She was the first person I went to, and so I didn't. I thought that's how it was, which honestly, I think it is how it is because when I do that bit, everyone laughs because they relate to it, but. Um, I went back to her for years, um, this waxer person, and um, I switched a few times, and honestly, she was the best. Why did you stop? Getting a Brazilian wax? Uh -huh. um, because, so here's the thing about the Brazilian, when you only get them like every month, I, I think that there's an edginess that I get once I've been through, it's almost like, you know, you, you go through this thing and it's painful and it's vulnerable and it's like it's almost like you're getting like you're going through physical pain so you can have like, you know, hot sex and the person that you're with can like, you know, get excited by your, you know, bald. Can I say pussy? I can say whatever I want. You right. Can say whatever you OK. Fucking want, please. All right. Um, We're friends. Here. So, you know, somebody's going to like you're with a guy who like is going to like it and um and so I get this attitude. It's happened the last. It literally happened the last seven times I got um, a Brazilian. So I stopped doing it. Um, that's three hundred and fifty dollars. That's right, um, plus tip. Oh right. Yeah. How much do you, How much do you tip? Is it a twenty percent type thing? Um. Well, okay. So it depends. If you go to the owner, um, we're like, I don't want to say, a, but like Pink Cheeks, which is where a lot of. Um, the porn uh, actresses used to go. I don't know if they still go there. Oh. Um, but but Cindy, who's the owner of Pink Cheeks, 
Um, I wouldn't tip her because she's the owner. Okay. Um, and they charge a little bit more too. I think they're more like $55 or $65. Um, but if I go to the Koreans, um, yeah, I'll definitely tip them. Okay. I usually tip 20%. 20%, okay. Depending on how beat up I am. See, that's the thing. If you go to like Pink Cheeks, it's quick. Um, they, it's so good. Like they don't leave, there's no marks. There's, it is like the most like, it's unbelievable. If you go, uh, if you go other places, it's a crapshoot. You don't know if they're going to nick you, like not nick Ugh. you, but like tear a little, you know, if they're going to like, um, bruise you or tear a little piece of your skin or yeah. if there's going to be bumps. And it's that's dangerous. It's dangerous is also a bummer because there's nothing, there's nothing as beautiful as a completely waxed pussy. But it's such a fine line between that and white trash. Because you got one, like, nick or one, like, bruise on that completely bald pussy. It's like, it looks like a domestic violence. Like, it's very white trash. Yes. And, and that, that has its own appeal. At the same time, uh, how fast can you jump back into the how, – how fast do you feel comfortable – Jumping back into the sack after that. Oh well, I want to fuck the night, I, the day. If I f if I get waxed during the day, I want to fuck that night. Oh, okay. Yeah, I want to like because once you go, you know, like the next day, it's still smooth, but it's not like as smooth, you know. And then as the days goes on, you know, so on and so forth. So I want to fuck that night. So here's the problem: is that I would get the Brazilian, and then I would have the date I was getting the Brazilian for. And I think that there must be something. I must have be a little bit more aggressive, or a little bit high, have a little bit higher expectations of the date, or if the guy didn't act the way I wanted him to, like if he wasn't like all over me, I would get upset. And so the last seven times, I, I got into these big blowout fights with the guys I was <laughs> with, or I didn't get laid, and I'm like, fuck it, you know. And now I'm not shaming at all. Wow. So at all. So. Um, you know, we were talking I about something important before well this. No, no, I apologize. I, I am interested in your comedy, and uh, and you are a wonderful person that I've known for for many years. Mm -hmm. But I am interested now in: Do you find an expectation of baldness when you meet somebody new? A man? Yes. No, I don't. I I hate bald uh, there's a lot of guys out there that are shaving to the bone like to oh, the bone yeah. oh you mean saying me yeah so do you do you find when you're meeting somebody new that they expect it right okay funny that you should say that i am i ask that's how well i used to ask until i said fuck it to the whole thing i mean i just i i gave my pubic hair up to my higher power like i literally was like because it became such a thing for me because the, I found that the trend, at least, you know, the trend for a while in the, in the mainstream world was like you had to, um, when I was like really heavily in the fucking, you had to be at least, I would never go completely, I had one boyfriend that wanted it completely off. Um, and that, and no that's sort of like birth control, or that, that's sort of like uh, getting an IUD for somebody. Um, what do you mean by that? In that if somebody wants you completely bald, that is a real commitment. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, 
yes, in terms of like how often you have to go and stuff. Yeah. Well, he here's the thing. It was kind of hot. He walked me right into the place. He put down a thousand dollars, and he said, "Wax her every two weeks." And I was into it. I mean, I like I love that kind of like forget about the waxing, whatever. The the fucking I'm taking care of my sex toy thing was like the hottest thing ever. You know, the downside for that for him is we didn't even make it to a thousand dollars worth of waxing. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he I, I was left with like a five hundred dollar credit, like at the end of that. That is that's poignant. <laughs> That's an interesting word for it. Yes, it is. It's well. My guess is is that the kind of guy that's just gonna walk into, um, and and walk into a, a waxing salon and, and put that kind of money down. I'm sure I'm not his first rodeo. You know. It's true, but it, there's there's also a disconnect between the way a man feels about um, his his waxed doll mm-hmm. and the actual experience of the waxing, mm-hmm. because. It's not the intimate. Exp- it's it's an intimate experience in the way that um, they're intimately they, up you. Y- yeah, they're <laughs> they're clinically up there. It's like right. uh, it's it's laparoscopic invasive. Yes, it sure is. And so, some people are into the pain, but in general, the person who's down there with the uh, the popsicle stick mm-hmm. is not is not in your corner the way you know people at a craps table are mm-hmm. where they w- they're they're actively involved in what's going to happen next mm-hmm. you know she's she's just she's just pulling hair out of your butt right the butt is the best part yeah the i really like the butt there's um people should go to danielstewart.com uh <laughs> not only for the dunkin donuts and you know the elegant design and the navigability of your website but also <laughs> the uh the lead the lead video uh is really educational thank you so when you became the host of this award show mm-hmm. how did people find you what what's your what's your porn pedigree oh you mean how did i end up how did i get this job yeah um, basically, I think that it started, you know, they've historically had pretty high level comedians who, um, have hosted the award show and maybe they're not, maybe they're not, they're not like household names necessarily, but in, if you know comedy at all, they're names. Right. Um, David Tell did it for David Tell, Jim Norton, Greg Fitzsimmons, Bobby Slayton, Lisa Lampanelli, um, yeah, so these are all people who have done it, right? And um, so two years ago, they went with this girl, April Macy, who is not on the Lisa, Lampane- Lisa Lampanelli level, but she's definitely, like, has worked her way up to the point where, like, that would be a um, natural choice. Her her Her... She was, you know, talent-wise, totally prepared for it. Physically, completely knocks it out of the park. She's like this gorgeous redhead. Um, her material is right in line with it. She's got, a, you know, she's similar to me in terms of, like, the dirty, you know, the sex stuff and whatever. So she's perfect. And um, But they went in terms of 
notoriety, I guess. They they went with somebody a little bit more developmental, even though she isn't. She's not a ton of TV, but she's just not quite as recognizable as like a Jim Norton or a Lisa Lampanelli. She did it, and she killed. She did a great job. So I think what they realized is I think what I think what they realized is is we what we want is we want maybe a chick is the way to go, and you know maybe we want to go a little bit less money. You know, I mean I don't I'm not saying I don't know what they paid April, but I mean I'm sure are they paying you? Yes, good. But I'm sure they don't have to pay her what they had to pay David Tell. You know, I don't know. I'm just assuming. Um, you know, and also at some point you run out of comics that can do that can host that show because it is, it. I mean, even David Tell, who's like top five comic, my favorite comics, said it's one of the hardest things he's ever done because it's a hard audience. It's a it's a hard audience because, and you know, no pun intended, but mm-hmm. you are you are up there and people are actively walking in and out of the room. Yeah, and they're not. There's a disconnect. I watched. Um, a couple of the years uh, broadcast, and there's a huge, like, in, in, it's not set up, it's not a good setup for comedy comedy, because comedy comedy is good for, co- you know, it is meant for connection, connect to the audience, look at people, everyone's sitting, they're quiet, they're there to see you, like that type of thing. This is a big theater sort of setting where there's a huge gap between the stage and the tables, and it's not your night. It is right. their night. They don't, you know, I mean, I- I'm sure they, uh, some of them are paying attention and want to be entertained, but for the most part, you're just there to sort of warm them up and let them know that the real show's going to be starting soon. And it's also porn stars. You know, that, that first five rows mm-hmm. is all porn stars, and they have arrived late. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I imagine the show is supposed to start at 9, but... I think you'll probably go on at around 11. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they run a tight ship. I mean, we've been, you know, I, I we've gone over the, the way that the uh, run of show is going to go. And it's, you know, they've done this how many years, you know? I mean, it's pretty tight down to this point. But worse comes to worse. I'm there to carry that burden. I'm there to have a placeholder so people can filter in so the the porn co-hosts can not can have a better audience. You yeah. know what I mean? How much um, how much preparation have you done with Tommy Pistol and Alexis Texas and the people at ABN and Showtime? Um, we've had um, I've had a, a couple of production meetings. Um, you know, uh, one so far. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was like one with all of us because you know they've got really busy schedules. The talent has really busy schedules, but like um, it's pretty involved. Like I've done a lot of live shows before and it's definitely the most involved it's a it's run pretty professionally um so to hear and you know i i just want to say as a as a person who's been to the adult entertainment expo of which the avian awards is the the cherry on the cake Mm -hmm. so there's the expo and that goes on for a few days and then on saturday night is the avian awards um and i've gone to the expo 12 years in a row or so, but I've been to maybe two of the shows because the shows are often really hard to deal with mm-hmm. uh, just because people are always getting up, walking out of the door, and it's like herding cats. 
but I think since Showtime came in a few years ago, it it has gotten a hell of a lot more efficient. Yeah, because there's um, something that people may not realize is, is there is um, there's the live show, um, and then there's the broadcast show, yes. and y you know what the trick for the producers is, is how to make a good show for broadcast that's live. You know what I mean? And, and that is very tricky because when you're doing just a live show that doesn't go on broadcast, you can have so much freedom for like follies and bloopers and you know what I mean? And it's no big thing. But when something, I mean, yeah, they cut it up and they edit it and they put it on air. But um, sorry, I'm not chewing enough. I'm I'm so sorry. It's fine. I feel we like I should have a piece of cheese. Let me just. Would you? Mm. We also um, have a cat here. Yes. Um. You know, like I was watching the last two uh, hosts, comedic hosts, last two years, which was uh, April Macy and Rebecca Cochan, and I can tell that they are doing they're doing their best to connect to the audience but they're really performing for the camera because they want if they were to perform for the audience only it's hard to get feedback there's a lot of chaos going on in the room and it's hard to connect to even a group of people in the front because there's a big gap right so you have to sort of do your best to listen to the sounds of the room but perform as if you have that connection. How do you feel about doing things like that? Because you're you're a stand-up stand-up, and you're. Oh, am I've never been called that. I appreciate that. You you know you. I don't think any stand-up would call me that, but I appreciate that. Well, fuck <laughs> them. Fuck, fuck them. them. You know what? They're all whores. They're yeah. I, I hate those people. Mm -hmm. S but when you're on stage, you know you're often you you work the crowd mm -hmm. and you. Uh, you're you're very close to the audience, and I can see you pivot according to the way the audience acts. Mm -hmm. And you've certainly been on camera plenty of times. I I was saying earlier that I uh, that I just happened to see you on Chelsea lately. Um, That's a very uh, chance thing because I was only on one episode. I know, and I saw it was like kismet. Mm -hmm. But I know they've ran it. Uh, you know they've run it before because I've gotten residuals from it so i know it's run like a few times at least but with how often do you have to how often do you find yourself in a situation where you've got a room full of maybe 2500 people but they're not actually your audience your your audience is coming three months later at the broadcast i've never done stand-up on tv well that's not true nope sorry not true i have um, I, I, I did a, uh, a comedy special. It wasn't for TV. It was, you know, it was a, it was a special. Um, but that was a theater built for stand-up, and I definitely had the connection with the audience. What I have done is I have played for a lot of really rowdy rooms where it appears that no one's paying attention, but after experience, you learn that 20% of the audience isn't paying attention and they're making all the noise. 80% of the audience wants to see the show. So what I've learned to do is perform as if those people who are making the noise are not there. That's so I just perform as if 
everyone's paying attention. And that's what I'll do for the AVNs. If, 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 if people are raucous and it's going whatever, I'm just going to do my best to perform as if everyone is paying attention. Gotcha. And you know that I will be listening. I'll, I I'll be listening. I appreciate that. You, you probably, I know there, there must be a German word for it, but you ever. If there is, I don't want to know I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in a large group of people and everybody's talking and you say something or you begin to say something and you're cut off, there is always one person who has heard what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so and you're like, whoa, wait, I'm listening. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only that, but the next time you try to you know, find that natural break in the conversation, do you ever modify the first few words of what you had said previously so that that one person who happened to hear you didn't think, oh, he's just repeating himself? Um, yes. Yes, I have done that. Um, Thank you for sticking with me. Right no, there. I was completely with you because it's interesting. I, I almost think it's, um, I don't know if I'm supposed to, it's an, I think it's an Al-Anon quality. If you don't know what Al-Anon is, it's a 12-step program for people who, um, you know, grew up around other alcoholics. And one of the. I'm very familiar with that. Yes. So one of the qualities of that is this, I have this like, I'm always the person who's listened. And when I, I'm so sensitive to people getting cut off because I hate being cut off. So if somebody chimes in, I will not, on principle, listen to that person. I have to, I'll stay with the person who started talking first. And then I'm always the one that goes, I'm with you. Like, you know what I mean? When they, re they think everybody else, I go, just so you know, I'm listening. You know? Um, and I don't know, if I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's because I root for the underdog or I don't like to be cut off or, or it, but it, it, I'm always that person that's still listening. Danielle Stewart is listening. That's right. Uh, so you're, um, you're familiar with the ways of Al-Anon and you're, uh, and you're also a 12 stepper. Mm -hmm. Um, when I, I, I'm also in the, um, yeah, I'm, I'm in the main one. I'm in the fan club. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when did you, when did you, uh, gain entry into the main one? Um, I got sober in, uh, 2003. Really? When I was 10. <laughs> um, yeah, I think actually one of the last times I saw you, you came to, um, my birthday party in 2004 and it was my first birthday, you know, natal birthday, um, where I was sober wow. and it was on the Magnolia, um, it was on the Magnolia... I remember apartment. that yeah. on the sec second floor. Yeah. Oh, yes. I remember that. Yeah. Well, I lived around the corner from you yeah. at that point. And I, I, remember, I remember before you got sober. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm glad you do. I don't. <laughs> no. You, know, you, were, you were always very charming. Yes. And that, that, has become, that has become a rich and fecund field for your, um, for your comedy. Uh-huh. And uh, you, you write for this website called uh, After Party Chat. Uh huh. That uh, for people who have been in relationships with alcoholics, mm -hmm. um, I, I found it really helpful. Oh, good. That makes me feel good. W what is uh, what is the main you know? 
it has a lot to do with you know the gig that you're going to be doing in a couple of days you know people feel like they understand porn stars Mm -hmm. and you know when i when i first got into porn uh, writing for avn in like 2002 um I knew everything about porn stars before <laughs> I went in, right? And I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, my first couple of pieces were so glib and were so smug, and I, I didn't know anything. I just had a a series of presuppositions. Mm-hmm. What do people know about alcoholics that isn't true? Ugh, everything. I mean, you know. Um, You know, I, and I write this all the time. I almost feel like I'm a broken record sometimes when I reference this. But, in, and I don't mean to, this to sound like it's some sort of elitist thing, but you just, nobody understands alcoholism unless you have it. And even people who have it don't understand it. It took me years to really understand what I was dealing with. Um, most people think that alcoholism is... Uh, somebody who has lost control of their drinking. And the truth is, is that that is a symptom of the illness. But this is a controversial thing I'm going to say, but I stand by it. You will not see this in any literature anywhere. But my belief is, is that the reason why it's called alcoholism is because at the time that they started to get hip to the disease, alcohol was the drug of choice that most people were dealing with. But that is a blanket statement for the ism, which is the addictive, quote unquote, addictive personality that people call it. But it's a mental disorder that causes you, the main um, thing of the disease is, is that it's a, it's, a, it's a self-talking disease where you basically um, tell you have a warped perception on reality. So alcoholics see the world in a different way. Everything's grayer. Um, People are against them. Um, Nobody likes them. They don't fit in. They're not comfortable in their own skin. They're different than everybody else. Um, And while everybody experiences that those feelings to some degree, I think, alcoholics, the difference is, is that they don't ever really outgrow it. Um, And I think that this is a theory, again, of mine, is that the brain develops. So if you're a self-conscious kid, but you don't use drugs and alcohol, you can probably outgrow that and build confidence in your formative teenage years into your early 20s and end up a perfectly functioning person. But if you're like me and like most alcoholics, you cannot stand the way that you feel so badly that you start drinking alcoholically at too young of an age. I started drinking alcoholically at 14. I mean, I never didn't drink alcoholically. I'm from Boston. That's what we do. Like, I just never learned to drink like a normal person. So I was getting blackout drunk from 14. So I never, that's where my development arrested. And is this a Newton North thing or a Newton South thing? Totally Newton North. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's completely a Tigers thing. So Um, so So I never developed, so I drank away that uncomfortability in my own skin for so many years that when I stopped drinking, it was like I was 14 again, emotionally, in a lot of ways. So, uh, you know, I always say, you know, there's a lot of people that identify, well, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm an addict. It's the same thing. I I get it if you 
never drank and you're just shooting heroin, you don't want to say you're an alcoholic, it doesn't ring true for you, I get it. But there is no difference as far as I'm concerned. Do you ever see The Exorcist? Um, God, so long ago. But there's a there's a great scene in it where you know the young priest is uh, armed with you know recordings of uh, of little Reagan you know speaking mm-hmm. in multiple tongues mm-hmm. and uh, he he goes up to Father Marin and he says well you know there there seem to be eight separate personalities that we're uh, that we're seeing here and he says no there is only one and I've I've often I've often wondered if that's what alcoholism is like. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, sex and love addicts, mm-hmm. narcotics anonymous, gambling anonymous, alcoholics anonymous. Uh, is it is it just a number of ways to say the same thing? Yeah. Although I w- with one footnote on that is that with narcotics. You can you're you can get physically addicted to a drug and not be an addict. So um, if I were to give anybody, um, you know, a, a shitload of opiates, they're going to get physically addicted to it, and they're going to have a hard time coming off of it. That's just biology. So anyone can get addicted to heroin. That doesn't mean you have alcoholism or 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 the ism, and that's why there's plenty of people who go to rehab for like coke or 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 heroin or whatever come out and then drink like a normal person the rest oh of their okay. life because they're not really addicts. That's a really good distinction. Yeah. So just because you got strung out does not mean you have the disease. Um it's a lot more apparent with alcoholics because if you're not an alcoholic, your life's probably not going to become unmanageable because of alcohol. But with heroin, you're, you're li- if you keep using heroin, if you get addicted, your life's going to come unmanageable really quickly. There's very few people who use heroin recreationally and in moderation for a very long time. So that's the sort of difference that we're seeing more nowadays, especially with like the whole Oxycontin, fentanyl bullshit stuff. That the pill thing has just grayed the whole, the whole uh, field. You know, it's just made it very like gray with the pill problem we're having is all of a sudden the, these rehabs are filled with people. And it's like th- a lot of these people may not be – have the ism. Can you, can you tell them a mile off? No. You mean who's an addict and who isn't? Yeah. No. And you know what? Most of them – here's the thing. If you can get sober or clean, as they like to say it, if you're, if you're an Oxycontin addict – and you can get clean, um, you know, and you were getting clean through NA or AA or whatever, because a lot of drug addicts get clean. And, and I'm not supposed to say on, on air, sorry. but um, Explain why. I, is it because of the second A? You're not supposed to um, mention the, it? The 12-step the, the, the prongs have um, traditions that are like the bylaws of the – of the thing, and there's only 12 of them, but one of them is personal anonymity at the level of Clarice Radio and Film. It's just one, of, so I'm breaking a tradition by saying, I will come out with my own sobriety, but I don't usually say the, that, I don't mention the 12-step group. Okay. That's like the way I get around it, and I just blew that, so, you know, whatever. Hopefully I won't get arrested. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so if you're, so what happens if you get addicted 
um, to oxy or something and you get clean and you're clean off everything. If you stay clean, like, that's great. Most people don't. So what will happen is, is that either you'll go back to drinking, like, because what happens with, with, with drug addicts is they go, alcohol was never my problem, and I want to drink like a normal person because the world drinks and I feel like an outcast. So they'll either go back to drinking and find they're fine, or they'll go back to drinking and realize that as soon as they have a couple drinks, they want to call their dealer, and they have to go back into rehab. So that's how you pretty much find out. When did you, when did you decide that you had hit your bottom? Um, or do you feel like the decision was made for you? No, I um, I hit what we call, what I realize now to be, this is going to sound so pussy, but like a spiritual bottom. Basically what happened was is I hit a, an alcoholic bottom years before even, like I hit it before I moved to L.A., you know, meaning that like I had so much, I had many episodes of incomprehensible demoralization prior to moving to Los Angeles in Boston. I had a lot of like waking up in fields, waking up in cab driver's bed, waking up in people's bathtubs. You know what I mean? Like waking up behind the wheel of the car at a red light. Like, you know, I, I had all that. And then I moved to LA and it got a little bit better because I didn't find people, people don't really, dr the people I met didn't really drink. I found that um, moving from crowded East Coast cities to LA enabled a sort of um, reckless behavior because the streets here are so goddamn wide. Mm -hmm. And you can drive home a lot easier. easier. You know, I, I, remember, I remember the last time I ever drove drunk, I was going up La Brea from, uh, from Acme. Mm -hmm. And I was just praying, get me to the next red light, mm -hmm. get me to the next light, and just inching my way home mile by mile to North Hollywood that way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's Oh, so and that Laurel, out. did you go over Laurel? Because that Laurel Canyon <laughs> drunk is like, I did it so many times, but it, it's super dangerous. Yes. I used to get drunk at Dublin's, and um, which is like a bar that... Was that on Sunset? Yeah, it's what... <laughs> there it's used no to be longer there, right? No, it's not there at all. Um, it, I think it's left in 2000 four, three or something. But um, yeah, it used to be this big Irish where there's some big white, horrible looking building there now. It's across from Pink Taco, which used to be Miyagi's, which used to be the Roxbury. Oh gosh, yes. we've lived here too long. Yes. Um, so I would get wasted there and then drive up the hill. And, um, you know, I thought it was funny. And it's like, it's okay. so not funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I had a lot of, um, you know, drinking bad drinking scenes and I think the year that I the 2013 I'm sorry sir 2003 looked like I had gone to what they call lower companions <laughs> I was basically living in valley dive bars you know um name some of them the starlight lounge the foxfire the chimney sweep oh where's the chimney sweep so the on woodman and the Foxfire was that was my big place. That that one's on Magnolia and like Whitset, Whitset, yep. right? And that was in Magnolia, yep. I think. Yeah. Uh, and the Starlight was on Tahunga and Riverside. Moore Park. Moore Park. Yep. 
which backwards is crap room. Sure it is. Sure is. So where was the chimney sweep? Chimney sweep is on Woodman, just um, north of Ventura. Oh, so between Moore Park and and Ventura, and then there was always like a couple of straggler bars I would pick up, like um, they. Tinhorn Flats in Burbank, but now they actually opened up a Tinhorn Flats on Highland. It's like a, it's like a hip bar. Like the have the Valley Experience on this side of Highland. Yeah, <laughs> it's really weird. Um, I think that's where it is. Yeah, I think that's where it is. But it used to be this like you know um, country western swinging door bar with like sawdust on the floor in Burbank, and then there was Grady's in Burbank and um, the Blue Room. And um, they must have loved you. You must have been the sweetheart of the rodeo. Well, you know, I don't know. I know the Starlight in particular, which was my main go-to because it was so close. I had a lot of loot acts. You know, I mean, I uh, I had a lot of. I mean, they didn't care because it's like a dot. But I mean, I the amount of people that I blew in the alcove. There was, like, when you go into the women's bathroom, you would open the door, and there would be this, like, area that had a, a, a counter and a mirror and then another door where the toilet is. That little alcove entrance rate, I mean, I must have blown, like, there was one summer um, I got put on Prozac, and apparently if you have, like, any sort of, like, hypomania in your makeup, it will make you manic. I didn't know that. And I was drinking on it. So I became very manic the summer of 2002, I think it was, and which is the summer I met you, I think. Yep. And I was fucking everything. Everything and everyone. Um, I mean, I hooked up with so many people that summer. I was having duplicates of, like, weird names. Like, I, f I fucked two guys named Stu. <laughs> I don't know one person named Stu. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it was like uh, there was another weird name too. I can't I can't remember, but it was like I think there was two Stews, two Drews. Um, y like w you know, me and my friend made up a name. I mean, a, a song about it. It was like, you know, two Stews, two Drews, and a Travis. Like it was just <laughs> like you know. So um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. That's what th was happening there. So, oh, so why I got sober? So, uh, you know, I um, I got, I took myself off the Prozac, which is real smart. And actually, uh, this is the first time I've said this out loud. This is probably a big thing having to do with it. You don't, you can't take yourself off an anti an SSRI. You cannot do that. You will, you will commit suicide. Right, and it's, and I would imagine that your that your health professional told you that you can't do that. Uh, nope, uh, because I got it from my uh, gynecologist. That's how loose the medical profession is. <laughs> I was like, I talked to my, um, my um, psychotherapist in Boston who does not have a medical degree, and I talked to her, and she was like, y you should go on an antidepressant, you should go on Prozac, because that was what the popular one was at the time. Right. But if she was actually going to prescribe it, she would have to go to a psychopharmacologist. I was just talking to her on the phone. I was like, oh, okay. So I went when I had a doctor's appointment to get a pap smear. And I was like, can you prescribe me an antidepressant? She was like, sure. And she tried to give me Zoloft, which I didn't want because that was so 90s. Yes. And I demanded Prozac, and so she gave it to me. And she didn't tell me anything about it. You want to know why? She knew nothing about it. Wow, man. The only And here's the thing. They don't know 
really anything. A new drug comes out, and like if depending on when you go on antidepressants is is what you're on. So like if you were on Effexor, you got um you got on medication in the mid to late nineties. If you're on Zoloft, you got it on in your early to mid nineties. If you were on Prozac, you got um on it in the late nineties, early two thousands. And then if and then if you got on the early to mid two thousands, it's Lexapro. That's so interesting. So you can you can tell by someone's prescription when they got on it yeah that's so interesting the only way it's different the only exception to that rule is is if you happen to have an adverse reaction to the drug of the times and then there's alternatives like well butrin is an alternative um what's it like paxil if you have uh you know used to be an alternative i don't think they prescribe that much anymore but there's a few like lesser known ones, but the reason why everybody's on those is because those are the companies that were giving out the free samples. Yes, to, to yeah. medical professionals. Exactly. So, luckily, I after Prozac, I got on Lexapro, which was of the times, and it's great. And I know a lot of friends that are getting put on um, antidepressants now, and then they're it's not working for them, so they're going now. They're moving back. They're like, okay, I'm trying Lexapro. Lexapro doesn't work. Okay, I'm trying effect. You know, it's like that. Isn't it? Isn't it fascinating that you can that you can tell periods of time by so many different markers? So it's December, and you know that a Lord of the Rings movie is coming out, right. or or a <laughs> Harry Potter movie used to be coming out, and you can you can look at someone's prescription and say, oh. You uh, you must have been depressed in ninety seven. You were di diagnosed <laughs> yeah. in nineteen ninety seven. You were listening to Dave Matthews. Yeah, well, especially certain drugs like Effexor is a horrible antidepressant. It's it's got so many things wrong with it. So if you're on Effexor, you def they don't even prescribe that anymore. I don't think unless you're unless that's what worked for you back then. But it's like it's it's horrible. Now, I'm gonna say this so you don't have to. There are a number of people in porn who happen to be. Um, drug users uh, you mean like like antidepressant or recreational recreational sure there's a lot of people in real life that are recreational drug users too yes. if um as a sober person and it's not like you're a militantly sober person mm -mm. but a, as a as a sober person can you describe your journey when you are dealing with somebody who is so clearly under the influence um you know because comedians are comedians are quite often put uh, in that situation yeah as i've gotten more sober meaning as i've been sober longer i've my tolerance for it gets less and less you know i i made a lot of you know, I guess they would be considered mistakes in my early sobriety. I did a lot of things that you're not supposed to do. Like, I refused to stop going to bars. I refused to stop going to drinking parties. I refused to stop sleeping with people who were drunk. I refused to stop being around drugs. Um, so I've really been through the gamut of, like, because I didn't want those things to change. I wanted to keep my same life and stay sober. In retrospect... That was kind of, um, it was just sophomoric. It was like, you know, I, I didn't know. I thought I could, it's just dangerous and it's stupid and it made my early sobriety really tough. And is, it is that a textbook 
newbie sober mistake? Sort of. Uh, most people who do it, who do what I do, end up relapsing. I just got lucky and didn't. But usually what happens is, yes, they, they don't want to change anything. They just want to stop drinking. And then they keep relapsing, 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 relapsing. And finally, they get willing enough to take the suggestions, which is like stop hanging out with your old friends, not because they're bad people, but because they're triggers for your drinking, at least for a while. S don't go any place like a bar or anything that you're not there for another reason. Like if you go to a bar to play pool, fine. But uh -huh. don't just go to a bar to have a Coke. I did that for years. Huh. Um, you know, uh, it's probably not a good idea to date somebody who is a heavy drinker. You know, I, you know, I liked it. I, I thought for years, I thought I only want to have sex with drunk people. At least one of us is altered consciousness. You know, I didn't feel comfortable around sober people, like getting, like doing, getting freaky in sex. I was too self-conscious as a sober person to be around another sober person. So I knew if I was with somebody who was drunk, I could get loose and it wouldn't be, they probably wouldn't remember it. Yes. Or they wouldn't be as judgy. But when two people are in the room that are like aware, you know, I mean now I, you know, I have been sober 11 years. Like, now, the, it, I, it's no thing. It's no problem. Like, I don't have any sort of weirdness about sex, weirdness about anything. There's no, there's absolutely zero weirdness, and it's been that way for several years. But for a good six, seven years, I was a head case about it. Now, you're going to be... You're going to be 30 in a couple years. Yeah, yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's true. It's scary. <laughs> uh, um, I, I wasn't even thinking about that, okay. but uh, but um, the lollipop. I, I don't know. I don't know how how powerful these microphones are, but my my dog has been uh, nibbling on a skull, apparently. Yeah, I don't I didn't know what that <laughs> was. Um, you're going to be at ground zero at the, you know, the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Mm -hmm. um, for this event, which is... And I'll be there for the whole convention. And you're going to be there for the whole convention? Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. So you're not going to just carpet bag in and fly in on your AVN helicopter? Hell no. No, I, I, I mean, well, number one, we have things, to, we have like run-throughs and stuff, but also like I've always wanted to go to the expo. I've just, why would I go? Like, you know what I mean? I mean, I've never... There'd be, there's just, it's an expense that I'm not uh, into porn enough to be like, I'm going to pay and get myself a hotel, like, right. you know what I mean? But, so it's cool to go. Like, I'm excited to go. I've been to the one in L.A., that little shitty one. Yes. The you know, uh, the adult, LA yeah, 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 yeah. Or adult con. Uh, I've been to both. Okay. Um, yeah, now, adult con is, was like a larger version of that Palacio alcove at the uh, Starlight. <laughs> yes, not that much larger. Um, Hold on just a second. Uh, Gordon, Schlafenzimmer. I love that your dog speaks German. He, yes, he's he's also a uh, he's also a psychotherapist. He's <laughs> 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 oh, great. Uh, Thank you, Gordon. So, so the the amount of substance abuse and misbehavior mm -hmm. at a place like a porn convention uh, that you'll be that you'll be presiding over uh, in the next
next couple of days. Uh, does that trigger you at all or no. after 11? That's great. I don't get my craving to drink or use drugs is gone. There's nothing. I, I can't imagine anything that would trigger. The only time I get like, I wouldn't even call it triggered, uh, but I get like tempted. Um, my tempting I- ecstasy, which is my one true love. <laughs> um, uh, you know, people who aren't, e- I mean, looking at people on E is disgusting, but knowing what they're feeling can be a little bit like, depending on the place I'm in in my life, it can be hard. And then mushrooms, like people who are going to do mushrooms, I get sad about that I can't do that. But um, no, people who are wasted or on coke or, or whatever, which I'm sure is going to be, or math or whatever, eh, it doesn't, it's not triggering to, to no. No, I, th- what I deal with, the reason why I still go to meetings and the reason why I still have to work the 12 steps and the reason why I still am active in my recovery is because I have take away the alcohol and I have a brain that tells me I'm a piece of shit, that everybody hates me, that um, I'm never going to you know, uh, have love, I'm never going to have this, I'm, da, 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 I'm behind the eight ball, like constantly. So what treats that broken record the committee is is what many people call it the committee of fucking assholes in my brain the only thing that treats that is 12-step work going to meetings working with other alcoholics so that's why i have to stay active it's not because i want to drink but if i don't stay active and i that mind talks to me like that for long enough i'll either drink again or i'll commit suicide so i'm here for you (laughs) thank you (laughs) Oh God! I, I I never I never want to be part of a committee that would have me as a member. Yeah, <laughs> so true. Now, there's um, there are so uh, porn conventions are a garden of delights. I'm very excited. And you're gonna be great. Uh, I'm I'm really I'm really excited to see you. Um, I'll be at enthusiastic at you know at least at at this podium. So tell me about your porn consuming experience. I don't have a lot of porn consuming experience. Um, I've seen porn, a bunch of porn. Um, I, I guess, you know, it's interesting. Okay, I, I was about to say I don't really watch porn, but that's actually n- not true. I don't watch professional porn. I don't even watch professional amateur porn um i will watch or read um stuff so because of that i would consider that porn so you'll like erotica sometimes yeah but it's not like to me when i hear the word erotica i think like danielle Steele, and it's not that shit yeah it's also not penthouse forum either because i don't like that like he grabbed his throbbing meat stick. Like, that makes me want to barf. It's more like, um, there's a few websites that do it right. What are they? I don't want to say. Okay. Can <laughs> you, if, if, I, if I hand you this? Well, it, 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 it's mainly because it would reveal my thing, and I'm not, I, I don't want to reveal my thing. So we we've just spoken for a half an hour about you hitting your spiritual <laughs> low, and 
Yeah, I mean, no, I know it's funny. I my porn thing, my sex thing, my my thing that I masturbate to is so I don't ever tell anyone about it. Interesting. And it, it, it I guess I know a woman who has decided that she will never go bowling. And it's not because she has any animus towards bowling, but um, she's just decided there's something I will never do, and I think that something is going to be bowling. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Of you know, is that the reason that you don't want to say the thing? Because I'm never going to do the thing. No, th- just because you've decided there's something I am never going to tell anybody, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I have. Yes, in a way. Here's the thing. I don't have shame about it. In fact, par- I've struggled with with um, talking about it openly because I think maybe it would help other people who have it. But selfishly, I think it will take the fun out of it. Interesting. I have, I have nothing that's private. My privates aren't even private in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, I, I mean, obviously I'm not uh, professionally in pornography, but like, you know, I have had sex with a lot of people. I've blown a lot of people. I, I don't, sex to me is not this super special intimate thing between two people. I mean, it's getting more like that as I get closer to 30, but thank you for laughing. Um, but for me, my, you know my my pornography or whatever what i what i masturbate to is like my private thing it's like the sacred thing that's wonderful <laughs> that's, that's wonder- you, well i mean there there's a there's a culture of of sex education now and uh you know people Thank like God. to say tmi yeah. um but yeah. so so many people are are very out with their sexuality um, and it's always such an education talking to somebody who's poly mm-hmm. uh, and yes. li- lives in a like a poly commune. Very educational, yeah. Uh, but it is interesting also when someone decides to keep something sacred. Secret. Right. Yeah, it's um. That's a nice balance. Yeah, and I also feel like. I'm not sure if part of the reason why I like it is because it's secret, but I don't want to find out. Because if, if, if I blow it out, then I'm going to have to look for something else, and it's been my thing forever. That's fascinating. I've tried other things, and they work for a period, but I always come back to this. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I can't... It's so the one thing I'm loyal to. Besides Marlboro Reds, I was pretty loyal to them. What was, what was more difficult, giving up the alcohol or giving up the Marlboro Reds? alcohol i mean physically uh i had a harder time with cigarettes but you it's a lot socially it's a lot easier to give up cigarettes i mean giving up cigarettes is hard but if you can deprogram um First of all, if, you, if anybody wants to quit smoking, I highly recommend The Easy Way to Stop Smoking by Alan Carr. It's a book. It's really a very simple book to read. But uh, once I got my mind out of the social aspect of it, like 
it doesn't make me look cool. It does or it doesn't matter. It's not worth it. Like because I was very attached to the persona part of smoking, you yes. know. Um, even though I was long grossed out with it, I just liked being a smoker. Yes. And once I got out of liking being a smoker, it wasn't that hard to quit. But alcohol, no one likes a non-drinker. No one. I admit, <laughs> I admit that 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 is a. Uh that is a prejudice that uh, I struggle with. <laughs> yeah, it, and I and I understand it. I wouldn't. I don't like non-drinkers. I, I the only reason I can stand non-drinkers now is because I I am one. But when I was n- a drinker, there was no way. That's why it's funny. I I would get depressed that like there was a couple of guys that didn't want to date me because I didn't drink, and I was like, what's their problem? Like <laughs> they must be alcoholics. But like truthfully, it's like I didn't. I would. Who wants to date? Someone who doesn't drink, and unless you're like, like I think I'm a pretty super cool, you know, like I can be around it. And I like to be around it. I don't mind it now, but um, a lot of people just can't be around it, and they're like, you know, super like, you know, anal about it. And um, oh, weren't we going to talk about? Well, yeah, that's a uh, that's a um, as Doctor. Dr. Lecter would say that's a uh, that's a ham-handed segue right there to anal. Yeah, what I, was that? I, I did I did so we've we've established that you don't that you don't watch a oh lot of yeah. commercial porn, mm-hmm. but there there is there is something that's very close to your heart. Mm-hmm. Um but I know that you kind of live live a life that would be suggestive to middle America of of the porn star lifestyle, yeah, um, but tell it's me not. But it seems that way. Yeah. E- exactly, exactly. There's 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 something about living on the coast where uh, things that are normal might seem outrageous mm-hmm. to uh, to people back home or people in middle America. Mm-hmm. And you know, there are things in middle America that I find outrageous, like property ownership. And, uh, or po- like bacon wrapped cheeseburgers. <laughs> well, you know, I or the double double. Isn't there a com- something called the double down, which is like, I don't know. There's I, there's some disgusting things that like McDonald's or or Burger King has out that I'm like, who eats at KFC? I mean, it was just like, oh, anyway. Well, I w- I was just thinking, you know, there's. When I uh, when I tell folks what I do, or for you know for part of my living anyway, um, they are uh, shocked. Their brain falls out. And yeah, their brain falls right out. Yeah, it slides right out like like a like a chunky aneurysm <laughs> on the side of their ear. But at the same time, um, they may have been working at um, at. Bank of America for for twenty years, and uh, you know their credit score is pretty high. Yeah, or you know or they own a home on a one income uh, family. Right, or you know they've um, they have in state tuition for their for their kids. Right, and you know so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I admire about stability. Hold on, Gordon Schlafenzimmer. That's incredible. Yeah. Schaffenzimmer. There we go. Unreal. Anyway, so, but you, uh, you know, you you blew guys in the starlight, mm-hmm. and 
So you you have paid your dues to be the AVN show host. I would say. What we're saying. And so what what's the story about uh, anal sex? Well, it's not really a story. It's um, I manifesto. Lifestyle. So when I was drinking, um, I was. Well, I wouldn't know if I'd say sexually escalating, but like I was really adventurous. You know, I was also really young, but I was really adventurous and I would be up to do anything and I would search out um, things. And, and by the way, Murphy's Law has it that if you are a girl who is dying for a threesome, you will never find it. Um, but if you, yeah, but if you sit back and, you know, I was the girl that was dying for a threesome. I was the girl that wanted to be with the guy that wanted me to be with another girl. And I always found these Irish Catholic guys <laughs> who thought me hooking up with a girl was cheating on them like i mean it's just amazing if you want something bad enough you will not get it um so 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 that that <laughs> that, that sort of irish catholicism from massachusetts massachusetts really really rubbed off on you i mean it's been the bane of my existence you know i i my whole life i've been oh you know what was so vindicating did you see the fighter of course you did yes how'd you not see the fighter okay the sisters in that movie um, oh were just – were those not dead on? There was – The Fighter is such a goddamn good movie. It is so good on so many levels. The character work in that movie was mind-blowing. Yeah, and one thing for anybody from Massachusetts, Marky Mark grew up in Dorchester, mm -hmm. uh, 30 miles south of Lowell, mm -hmm. where um, – it the fighter was it where right. it took place. Christian Bale came from somewhere in England. He has the Lowell accent down, down so well, and yet Marky Mark sounded like he was from Boston. Yeah, right, it's just a thirty-mile difference. But yeah, I, I've I've heard these stories about Christian Bale being. Um, being You're from Lowell, aren't you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Grand Panante is from Bogue Chitto, Mississippi. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I know people from Lowell. Okay. Anyway, um, people talk about Christian Bale being um, difficult to work with on set, but I have never admired an acting performance more than seeing just the way he lolled it out. Oh, did he – Every nuance, I mean, if he's difficult to work with, he is worth it. Because he had, there's a, a, a Boston mannerism, and I cannot, I mean, there's a few of them, but I can't describe it to you, but certain people have it, um, and he had it. He had the mannerism. It's, this, it's a cross between this, like, mischievous, boyish like agenda and like utter stupidity. I, I, I don't know how to explain it and also like sexiness at the same time. It's like a mixture of like a, a young boy, a sexy man and something slightly retarded. And it just makes the perfect cocktail of a Bostonian. You throw a tool belt and a truck involved and I'm done, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, so the, the sisters, it was like, I don't fucking know, like seven sisters or something in the, yes. in the movie. One of them was actually Conan O'Brien's sister, and I think this is the one that I'm thinking of. But she, those girls, the way they talked about Amy Adams, um, is 
forever how I will forever think women see me because that was how I was treated like I was just some fucking MTV girl you know what I mean like it's just like she's a fucking keg pig she's a whore she's a you know and um and so to answer your question which I don't remember what it was um oh yes so that Boston thing yeah I mean it's like there's so much you know, I couldn't have sex with, you know, my biggest fantasy was always to have sex with the guy I was dating while his best friend watched and jerked off. And it would just never happen because I've never been around a guy who would let another guy in the room, let alone to jerk off. There. Like, it's like, what is he fucking queer? Like, it's just never going to happen. So anyhow, my point being that um, when I got sober, sex was really hard for me at first. Um because the truth is, is I was not having connected sex um, ever. It was completely theatrical. Um, and, uh, I, and then I discovered that I wasn't really interested in connected sex, that I liked the theatrical sex. Like, that's the kind of sex I wanted to have. I wanted a workout. I wanted the gymnastics. I wanted the, the show. Um, I didn't want to get intimate with another person. So... What happens is, is I tried to have that sex a lot in the first few years of, that I was sober, and it's just, that is two double thumbs down. Like, that is not... The um, connected stuff or the theatrical stuff? The theatrical stuff sober, sober was not working. It just didn't work for me. Huh. Um, so I had a lot of years of just confusion when it came to sex, and I became very, like, awkward... I felt awkward. I don't know how I w was, but it felt awkward, and it felt I just didn't like being aware the whole time I was having sex. So I, I would have sex with drunk people and people who were high so I could at least get something. My point is is that at some point I decided I wanted to be – I've never really – when I was did coke and stuff, I would have anal sex, but I'd never have, I've never had anal sex sober. And um, it, I could just never – it never happened. Um, I would, uh, you know, if you're not with a guy who's into anal sex, mm -hmm. like all men are into anal sex on some level, yes. but I mean, there's ain't guys who are sort of into anal sex and then there's guys who are like anal sex connoisseurs. Like that's what they, they love anal sex. They're all about it. They know all the ups and downs. If it's a shit storm, they don't care. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're, you need to be with a guy like that. If you're going to get into sober anal sex, cause you need a, a, a Sherpa, you right. know? And it's not that easy to find. Um, it's not that easy to find. So I have been, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I apologize. I don't remember how we I'm got into I'm this looking at the monitors now, and uh, there, there's so many people here who, uh, who say, no, actually, it is really easy to find. Oh, really? <laughs> well, it, 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 it hasn't been easy to find for me. You know, it, it hasn't. Um, so I found one guy who was into it, and, you know, it, we just we we had it sort of um but then you know we we broke up before we really were able to get into it but my obsession you, you still had a 500 hundred dollar credit <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right um but my obsession in in sobriety and it, you know is more is just being i want i know why we were because off the air we were talking about getting in shape so to speak you know when you do pornography you get good at just having anal sex, 
just right. you know like hey no big deal I'll take a DP it's n- it's no big thing and I want to get to a place where it's like I want to just we're fucking in the pussy and he just goes in my ass and it ain't no thing it's just a different flavor mm-hmm. you know what I mean I would love that to be me yes and I think I think people need to be that person who can pivot in their sexual lives in the way that they can you know change those status relationships in their in their regular life mm-hmm. you know you you might be an authoritarian person with your children but then you get pulled over by a cop and you're suddenly lower status mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you have equal relationships with people in work and we change our statuses and we change you know we're, we're fluid in so many ways in our regular lives yep. but then when we get into our sexual lives uh there's a lot of there's a lot of hang-ups and there's a lot of baggage um that make you tune out or make you um drop out it's fear i mean for i don't know what it is for other people but for me it's fear and i don't like being fearful of anything um there's certain things that don't interest me you know sexually but like what ATM, you know, but I could see a footnote of that is, or side note is, if I was super into a guy, I if I was if I was having anal like it ain't no thing, I could see myself doing that, um, just because it was different and hot. Right. So I I don't that could be a side thing, but I'm not striving to get asked to now. I just thank you for defining that. Oh, in sorry. Context, yeah. By the way, that's yeah. good. I'm sure. I'm sure. There, I'm sure there's no one that listens to this that don't know what ATM is. But you know that doesn't really interest me. Um, but again, I'm not close to it. But I, for me, the crux of where it all starts for my being more open sexually is being somebody that can get fucked in the ass like no problem. Like maybe, maybe we don't even fuck in the pussy for like months. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to be that versatile. I want that. How does that, how can you extrapolate that sentence into your um, your artistic process? <laughs> well, you know, the AVNs, and I don't have much time on stage, you know, but the AVNs would be a perfect ground to talk about that on. But in mainstream comedy, it's hard, people, and and you know nobody. The wha- one thing I relate to, um, where I feel a kinship with porn stars is, is that, or porn actors is, is that um, they are constantly up against the battle of it's just sex, guys. Relax. Why are you so uptight about this? And I have the same thing where it's like I can't do TV, stand up on TV because I can't. No, you can talk about murder you can talk about drugs you can talk about you know violence you can talk about anything but don't mention jesus and don't mention sex yeah and don't and don't be the the sexually frank woman on yeah. stage and you can actually we've gotten to the times now where you can be sexually frank but you has to have a silly um spin to it so it has to be have a little bit of like absurdity to it so we know you're joking and I think maybe that's what, you know, one of the guys at Showtime um, said to me, you are the filthiest comedian I have ever seen. And I don't know if he said f- filthiest or filthiest female, but he said filthiest comedian. I don't see myself that way. That's odd. 
isn't it? I mean, I think he was giving it to me as a compliment, like you're perfect for this job type of thing, but I don't, and that's how I'm seen by the industry, which is why I don't work a lot. I, I, my, my stand-up hasn't really been on TV, and I don't work a lot as a stand-up because of that. You know, I'm very limited even doing the road. Even live shows I'm limited at because you can't send me to the Chuckle Hut in Kansas City because they can't handle it, you know? Do you, as for that reason, have you developed a, uh, a no. non-blue routine? No. Do you refuse? Or it will, it, will it seem I don't like know how to do it. you're compromising who you No, are. I'm not going to make it seem like it's some moral choice. I wish I could tell you that it was like, no, I won't do it. I don't know how to write a clean act. I don't, I'm not a clean person. You know, my sense of humor always has a slice of darkness to it or, or, or whatever you want to call it, like wrongness or edginess. I mean, that's just how I see the world. So it's like, I have a clean, good joke here and there, but it's not interesting to me. I don't find it funny. Like, I don't find clean humor funny. I mean, unless you're Brian Regan. If you're Brian Regan, you're a fucking genius. And if you don't know who he is, look him up on YouTube. But God damn it, that's the best clean comedian that there is. But for the most part, you know, I, people will say, oh, if you're really a comedian, you can work clean. I, that's a bunch of bullshit. You work who you are. You know, I, if you are really a dirty person in life, but you can get on stage and kill as a clean person, congratulations. I don't know many, you know, I guess I don't know many people like I can't think of one. Most of the clean comics that it's not that they don't say fuck or shit in their real life. Of course they do. But they don't think about ass to mouth. They don't think about, you know, um, you know, God, I wish this guy wouldn't finger my asshole and then finger my pussy because that's going to give me a yeast infection. Like they don't think that way. You know what I mean? They don't talk about it. If they, it's not like they're restraining themselves because they want to work clean. They just, their brains don't work that way. Unfortunately, that's how my brain works. That's why I think I'm funny, and that's why I got into comedy. I didn't get into comedy to tailor my act. to. So I'd rather be broke, obviously, <laughs> as I have been for 10 years, um, in a one-bedroom apartment uh, by myself. Um, then, you know, I don't know how I've tried. Trust me, I've had so many, like, so many like rape shower cries, you know, over why can't I work? Why can't I be a clean comic? Why can't I blah blah? blah. And finally, I just gave up and just said, you know what? I'm gonna. I took a medical marketing job in 2013 because I was like, I, I don't know what to do. Are you are you marketing like specula? No, I was marketing. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, Strictly colonoscopies. No, <laughs> I was um, marketing MRIs. But my point is is that I went to the most corporate job you could possibly have um, because I was so lost. Actually, that was 2012. I was so lost on, like, I don't know what to do here. Like, there's very few things I can do. Um, but it worked out. You know, I just, I did, I did, I took multiple strands of income I did copywriting I did you know I did a lot of different things to stay afloat and then um you know some things came along my way that were perfect and this is one of them so this weekend when you're doing the show they're putting you up you're going to be at the hard rock all weekend mm -hmm. if I knew my room number I would tell you 
Okay, good, good, good. We'll bump into each other. Um, any nervousness? Any butterflies? Oh, I'm I'm very nervous. Yeah, it, it's it's a nerve wracking thing. Five thousand people. I don't care who the fuck you are. That's nerve wracking. Do you ever um, prolapse your rectum out of fear? Um, I don't prolapse my rectum at all. Um, mainly because I, if I had anal sex, I'd probably be able to do that. But it's, I think it's hard to prolapse a rectum if you're not being, um, if your rectum is like intact. You know what I mean? Like the only things only come out of my rectum. Like it's just, it's only used for its intended. Like it, you know what I mean? Like it's not. So you don't have anal sex enough. I don't have anal sex at all. Really? No, oh. I'm trying to tell you. See, that I, I, I thought. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. No, I that had. That needs to be remedied. <laughs> I was having anal quite a bit enough back in my using days because you know coke and anal is like chocolate and peanut butter <laughs> um and then in sobriety i only had one guy we technically had anal sex i mean we had anal entry um but it was not fucking there was no fuck it was like it was like the opening act God you know what i mean it. and that was it and then we broke up that was one time that's the that's the saddest story I've ever heard. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I I hope something changes. I hope I hope something wonderful happens to you this weekend. Yeah, I would like to get. I mean, you know, there's nothing better than uh, yeah. I would like to get fucked in the ass th this weekend. Um, I'm I'm bringing my enema. Good. You know, as as just to be prepared. I want. I want to. Uh, do you get? Um, do you get animals in bulk? I guess. I guess you wouldn't. I just started because I started getting. Now I'm in the if you build it, they will come phase of my yes. anal. Um, Faking it till you make it. Yeah. So um, yeah, I started enema ink. I used to get colonics, but it, that gets expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so I started enemaing in do like. Do you know a that Kenny Loggins married his uh, colonic irrigationist? You know what? I did not know that. And that is something that you could not tell from his music. <laughs> if, if you don't know who uh, Kenny Loggins, uh, one of his hits would be um, Footloose, right? Uh-huh. Um, so that's like, everybody cut Footloose. Mm, Highway to mm. the Danger Zone. Oh, which is one of the best. That's Tom Cruise, um, uh, Top Gun. Yep. Did he also do... The Caddyshack theme. Which is what? Uh, I'm all right. <gasps> Okay, I thought that was the Smothers. Oh no, not Smothers. Uh, Doobie Brothers. No. And they want to hear about me. Did he do? Um, did he do? Uh, hold on a second. The Beverly Hills Cop. Hold on. It was um. Uh. Oh God. Um. That was a Pointer Sisters. No, you're thinking of Pink Cadillac, right? No, Pointer Sisters did. Um, well, there was Axel F. There was. No, not that. Um. That's that they named it Axel F. Yes. Then there was. Um, then I'm thinking of the opening scene where he's in the with the truck with the cigarettes. Oh no, I don't remember. And there was a chase scene, and it's um it's a it's it's one of those famous '80s songs. It's like um. Okay, okay talk. I'm gonna tr try to think of it. Uh, he he also did. Uh, Even though we ain't got money. I'm so in love. Oh, God, that's so 70s, it feels like. That was 80s? Yes. and he, uh, No, that was 70s. That was when he was with uh, Jimmy Cena. Okay. Um, so you were saying something. But we, Yeah, we are. 
yeah, running out Ken, of time, I'm sure. Ken, Kenny Loggins married his colonic irrigationist. You said that colonics did get expensive. Oh, they got expensive. Like so how much are those? The heat is on, but it's not. It's um, Glenn Frey. Oh, yes. But I thought it was Kenny Loggins. The heat is on. Right. Mm, you, mm. you are forgiven for thinking Thank that. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so I started doing enemas about over the summer. And um, whenever I think there might be a possibility, you know, I, I do it. How much do con- – uh, see, I've never had a colonic, but how much do colonics cost? About a uh, hundy. Damn. I, I don't know what – I mean, I don't know where, like – I w- the place I was going was, like, 90 bucks a pop, yeah. So could you use your $500 bikini wax, uh, Brazilian wax credit to walk across the street and get – five colonics you know i wish i could get cash for unwaxed pussy but um no i couldn't and so i used up all those credits unfortunately i think uh i think we're gonna end with cash for unwaxed pussy (laughs) danielle uh it's wonderful to see you thank you and uh we'll we'll see you this weekend yeah i'm very excited thank you daniellestewart.com Follow her at the Danny Stew. Is that right? On Twitter, yep. All right, and you and you promise to uh, to reply to everybody. No, oh, stop <laughs> it. <laughs> I hope you've gotten to know Danielle Stewart. She's a great person to get to know. Um, you might hear that uh, we're recording at the Glendale Motor Speedway. You can follow Danielle at the Danny Stew on Twitter. Um, that's S T E W. That's the way that Rod and Al and John um, spell Stuart on Twitter or at her site, daniellestuart.com. For more news from the world of porn, check out GameLink's Naked Truth at gamelink.com or find me where I've been since 2005, grampanante.com. Click. I love you. (laughs) 